0: Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose, a podcast made possible by Skylife Success, a Skypass group company. Join Chris Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Greetings, dear ones, and. Uh... The standard opening is always, I hope you're doing well wherever in the world you are. Thank you for the feedback on The Loneliness of Leadership 1 and 2. And as I finished up uh, with the book South and the work of the endurance, there was enough information in there to do a prologue. And we're calling this Loneliness in Leadership 3. If you have tracked with us uh, over the last two episodes, we chronicled the journey of Sir Ernest Shackleton in the early 1900s, the ill-fated voyage of the ship Endurance, which was uh, his uh, third attempt at doing something significant in the Antarctic. Earlier, he had gotten really close to the South Pole. Eventually, someone else uh, accomplished that task. One of his feats before someone actually located the pole was to have gone the furthest distance anybody ever did on that continent. Now, for geographical purposes, uh, I was fascinated by how the South Pole, if you look at our globe, is at the bottom of the globe. And on the left hand side, if you look, uh, the continent of South America reaches very close, and that becomes the last point of civilization from where people would embark in today's voyages when you take some of those ships or flights. And that would be through the Weddell Sea area. On the opposite side of the globe, uh, or actually towards the right hand side, there's no, because it is round. You would come to New Zealand, and the New Zealand's uh, access to the South Pole would be through the Ross Sea. So if, again, we were going to look at Sir Ernest Shackleton's journey, he was going to leave from the South American continent, go to the small island of South Georgia, which was the farthest place south that had the British flag on it. From there, he would attempt to go towards the Weddell Sea and reach the Antarctic continent and cross it over. In times past, we talked about that ill-fated voyage, the 18 months of abandonment on sheer flows of ice, the eventual landing on Elephant Island, and then uh, him making that 780 plus mile journey, nautical mile journey across torrential waters to reach uh, the whaling stations of South Georgia, and eventually then having to cross the mountain there to get help. But what followed in the four months since he left his men on Elephant Island is itself another story. So there are two components to this message today, but they're going to be anchored in a premise. And the premise is that when you are lonely, when you are alone, when you are looking at your goals, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, something I told my father, who at the age of 75 asked me if there was hope for him after he had retired and uh, wanted to go back and get an education, I coined a statement. When your obligations to others finish, your obligations to your dreams remain. When your obligations to others finish, your obligations to your dreams remain. Now we're chronicling of course with Sir Ernest Shackleton who died by the time he was 47. I know I'm almost uh, past the age of 60. Uh, I know my father is 88. Most of the people I operate with are older than that age, which means here was a man who died before many of us actually hit our stride. At the age of 20 or 22, he passes his captaincy or his skipper's license and begins to have that desire to do something significant that would put his mark on humanity. He failed at many of the ventures he came through. In fact, his success in leadership is actually born out of abject failure because when he came and escaped or at least found land, He had made three additional trips to try to go and rescue his men, and all three of those trips from three different people, whether it was the government of Uruguay or the government of Chile, whoever it was, they all kept coming up short because the vessels they had were being defeated by the ice. But his resolve to get to Elephant Island and actually see that it was worth it is fascinating. So on the fourth attempt, after about four months of stranding those 22 men, remember, he left 22 men on Elephant Island, took six, uh, five others with him, and then went to South Georgia, left three on one side of the island, took three and crossed the island. And now he is in civilization. He's clean. He's bathed. He's fed. He's gone back and rescued the other three he left. And now he has to go back and rescue the 22. The story is fascinating when you read the book South, which is Shackleton's own account. But when you get to the chapter, there are two narratives here. One is from the people left on the island who knew the boss would come back. And the skipper he left in charge of the 22 men, every day after his boss left, after about the eighth day, which is when they expected rescue to start coming, he would pack his sleeping bag and say, I think the boss is going to come today. I think the boss is going to come today. So every day they were ready. Now imagine waiting for every day for something miraculous to happen and that finally happening on day on, after four months. But the day it happens, you're actually ready. So literally in an hour, they were able to uh, send a boat and then put all 22 men on board, bring them all back to civilization. So now word reaches the world that Shackleton had managed to save all 28 people. But here a different kind of loneliness begins because the expedition was a failure. He's been invited to talk about survival and he's in a different continent and the world is in the throes of World War One, And so he's taking on the role of an ambassador, he's taking on the role of a negotiator, he's taking on the role of a speaker, all in the desire to raise money to fund future things. Now remember, loneliness and leadership is an important attribute, but it's the restlessness and the loneliness that defines and puts your mark on humanity which means even in those lonely stages of life, even in those days when everything is dark and you're down in the dumps, it's the restlessness of the human spirit that will allow the victors to become the person who are no longer victims, and they overcome that feeling of being vanquished. Now the story takes a different trajectory because this is a part of the story I didn't know. You see, when he began his journey, that ill-fated voyage, He had commissioned another journey with another skipper. These people were going to leave New Zealand and go on the Ross Sea to the Ross Sea ice shelf where some of the earlier explorers had already set up some cabins and all that. And the goal of that particular expedition was different. They were going to have to march inland from the New Zealand side, setting up depots of supplies and all that with the goal that if Sir Ernest Shackleton began his overseas march on Antarctica from the Weddell Sea side halfway through when they would run out of provisions, this provisional caravan that was already envisioned was going to come up. Well, that voyage also ended in disaster because they also got stuck. Now, what happened was they lost some people on the New Zealand side as they began to put up these depots and fortify additional depots and do all of those things. But the fascinating part of the journey is I was watching a documentary the other day and today we cannot even fathom, if you want to do something topographical, if you want to do something meteorological, if you want to do something geographical, if you want to do something oceanographical, we have vessels and we have medium and we have technology and we can send ice breaking ships that will just lower a gizmo in 3000 feet into the ocean and then take pictures That's what on the bottom of the ocean. Now you have to imagine that when Shackleton and all these people were doing their work, there were no such devices. So when you had to set up a physical depot and put in a stove and put in supplies, you were traversing at the rate of about maybe three miles an entire day because you're going in knee deep ice, you're trying to navigate. Now it's easy. You just do a flyover and you say, OK, this latitude, this longitude, this many minutes, you have this depot there and uh, we can just lower the tent and the contraption and you can build something else. An helicopter can chopper you away. In those days, it was done by hand. So a ship gets stuck. You're still having to fulfill the work, but you're now lost as well. But you're fulfilling your work and then only to realize that the work you're doing amidst being lost is actually in vain because the one you're doing the work for are lost themselves. Now imagine how lonely that was. So now we circumnavigate back to Shackleton. We're now looking at around 1915. He finds out that the expedition he had commissioned to come from New Zealand that was going to fortify the depots, And have supplies for his party in case their overland success from the other side was possible. I hope you're tracking. Uh, He now says, I have to go to New Zealand to make that rescue. Now think about a man's ability. He has lost his desire to conquer the pole. So he creates another desire, that restlessness, to be the first person to go across the Atlantic or the Antarctic. He fails at that and ends up having to spend 18 months uh, just keeping his people alive and then going across waters and going back to rescue them and making numbers of attempts. At this point, you're beaten down. All this later on to find out that he had a congenital heart defect that may have actually attributed the fact that the blood that was flowing through his heart was going at much more of a rapid rate than any of us. And if you read all the things he did, he was always at the head as a leader in that loneliness, with all of the defects that happened and with all of the physicality around him completely collapsed and every avenue closed and physically at the end of his own uh, trail, he never gave up. He now makes his desire to go to New Zealand and because of the fact that there is other people in New Zealand and because of the fact that there was some friction, he now goes in as second in command on a voyage to rescue the people he had commissioned earlier. Now, I cannot even imagine what went on in his life because after he does that, he goes back and he's now given a commission by the royalty, royalty. He is given knighthood earlier on, and he says, okay, why don't you go back as a peacemaker to some parts of the world that have been strung up by World War II, World War I, and as World War I is coming to an end, Shackleton says, I think I'm going to make another trip. This trip will be uh, with scientists. This trip will do something different. This trip will try to accomplish something different, and here's what he decided to do. Okay, I want to find the South Pole, be the first person to do that. That didn't work out. Tried to figure out something to do in the North Pole, the Canadian government backs out. Decides to go and say, okay, I'm going to be the first person to cross the Antarctic by land. That doesn't work out. Then he has to go back and rescue everybody on both sides, including the party that was going to help him on that ill-fated expedition meeting them halfway. That didn't work out. Then he goes back and attempts some business ventures and all that. That doesn't work out. As a life that is strung by failure, Shackleton's memoirs, and his publication and his work never reached significance. Other people like Scott who actually managed to be the second person to reach the South Pole and other people got greater notoriety because they had success. World War I generated its own heroes. Shackleton now decides after Canada closes off that he's going to make one last attempt at doing something significant and be the first person to go around the entire South Pole, around the entire Antarctic continent, and be the first person to circumnavigate it by boat. I don't know how much you have to love just endless amounts of ice. I don't know how much you have to love the drudgery of the same scenery. Some of you listening to this are wondering if hope and opportunity exist for you because when you look up, you see the same wall, you see the same window, you see the same door, you see the same street, you see the same people managing you. Imagine being with the same people for 18 months and not one of them has had a bath and all of them look like ferocious wildebeests coming out of the jungle and each one of them looks more appetizing. You know, as as one person put it in their diary, saying, "You look at people and you realize you're running out of food, and then you have to look past your friendship to see if this is the who is the weakest person." In fact, there is a joke, tongue in cheek, about a stowaway on one of uh, Shackleton's expeditions who stowed away on the ship, and they found him when they were somewhere in the South Georgia area on that ill-fated endeavor. And they made a joke saying that since you're you're the person, we have 27. And since you're the person who stowed away, we'll take you on the expedition. But if we come to the point where we have no food, you're the first one we're going to eat. Now, that's not a joke on cannibalism or anything else or taking lightly. It's just how tough these men were and how they perceived life. So now let's go back to that last expedition. The heart is now already heavy. Failure has loomed large. He has a physical hole in his heart. He has attempted many things and come up short. Everywhere he's turned, he has not come up with a desired outcome and goal. History is not going to be kind to him in the immediate future because other heroes have emerged who have actually done greater things. But he wants to now circumnavigate the entire continent of Antarctica. And when he arrives in South Georgia or a little earlier on, before they arrive in South Georgia one afternoon, he complains of a little pain in his chest and his mate says, why don't you just relax a little bit? You look a little pale. And then he arrives in South Georgia and he has a fatal heart attack at the age of 47. On the 5th of January 20, 1922, Sir Ernest Shackleton dies. His body is being brought back across the Atlantic uh, to England and his wife says in one of the cables, he loved that area of the world. I would prefer he be interred there or buried there or cremated or whatever in some way. So there is a marker to Sir Ernest Shackleton in the place he loved the most. So in life he was lonely, in pursuit he was lonely, in effort he was lonely, and in death he was indeed lonely. When I look at his life and I've become so fascinated by this in the last couple of months as I've gone through this and I really am grateful, I went back and did my own due diligence and research. There are enough lessons in that short life that would give us a month or a year of Sunday's worth of information to challenge ourselves I don't know what the future is holding. I know who holds it. I'm so grateful that Shackleton had a providential belief in his life because even on one of those walks when it was three of them in the darkness trudging for 36 miles, trying to find hope for their friends, all of them to the degre- to a person said, there were four of us and all of them believed that there was someone else guiding them. I do believe in my own journey. My faith has held me in some of the darkest moments of my life. So in loneliness, realize this. When your obligations to others finish, your obligations to your dreams remain. When you're lonely, remember this. You may be lonely, but you're never alone. There is providential help from above that has a purpose for your existence. I would encourage you strongly to go and read the life and the legacy and the works of Sir Ernest Shackleton. He has now reached cult status. He has now reached that position of prominence considered one of the 10 most famous British people who ever lived. A lot of his prominence began in the 60s and 70s when people realized what he had done and how much he had accomplished. And then when you fast forward 100 years later, you begin to realize what he did was not only incredible. It was impossible. I don't know anybody who would have kept that many men alive in those dire circumstances for that period of a time. To the degree that even in the abandonment on an island every day, men would wrap up their sleeping bags and be ready saying, today the boss is coming. Can people say that about you? Can people say that about your leadership? When you walk into an environment, are people ready and eager? And no matter what has happened in the previous 18 months or two years in your organization, they can always come to work saying, today, boss is coming and it's going to be good and glorious. So this concludes our three-part series on the loneliness of leadership. Please send us your feedback. Tell us what you think. I love this story and I'm glad I get to tell it. Good luck. God bless. that concludes another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose with Krish Dunham brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at krishdunham.com and SkyLifeSuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.